everybody, welcome to the Sanctus Forum. I am Michael Stewart Robb, but everybody just calls me Mike. And we're doing the conspiracy commentaries here with uh, Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. And this is another one of those unusual ones in which I have a guest and my guest is Sean Mullen from Dublin. And you may not know who he is, but you will be very happy to meet him in a moment. Um, I'll introduce him in a second, but I do wanna say, because these are a bit longer, uh, you may want to switch over to the podcast version of this and not watch the video in case um, you are watching the video right now because we'll just kind of get into it and I'll forget that the video is actually there. And uh, yeah, podcast might be more suited to um, the kind of format that we have here. What we'll be doing is talking about a larger section in um, chapter one. Um, it's titled Word from a Different Reality. In my edition, it starts on page 11, goes to page 21. And um, I'm really excited to have Sean uh, talk about this with me. Sean is uh, the first person that I met in Europe when I moved here 17 years ago who had read this book and it just seemed like he really got it. And, and some of the things that he um, got were Dallas's presentation of Jesus and his presentation of ordinary life. Um, Sean, uh, at that point, I don't think it started what he's into now, but um, I've uh, learned that he began his uh, working career as a navigation officer uh, for the merchant navy, and then he um, went into pastoring some churches. So pastor, he was a, a Protestant pastor there in Ireland, a couple churches. And then he felt like he should step out of that role and uh, start a social enterprise in the city of Dublin where he lives now. He's in a section of the town there and has begun something called Third Space, which is, um, from the looks of it, just a cafe, but it's a social enterprise. Uh, so it's intended to do uh, good to the community, not only in being in that particular part of the city, but uh, sorts of people that they um, hire and bring into the cafe, as well as the ability for other groups to come in and use the cafe. There's two things that kind of stood out to me about Sean when I first met him. And um, one was that he had, he had just been on the Camino de Santiago, the uh, St. Jacob's Way uh, in Spain, and he was just alive with stories from that from that trip. And the other thing was that he had um, completed for, well, we'll ask him here in a second, I don't know, second, third time, The Divine Conspiracy, and he was alive with this book and the ideas that were flowing um, uh, out of it and into him and helping to shape his idea of what it means to follow Jesus in 
Europe today. So um, here he is, uh, Sean Mullen. And uh, Sean, good to see you. How are you doing today? Good to be with you, Mike. Delighted to be here. What's, um, what's Dublin look like today? It's the sun is shining. It's been a beautiful day. We've had good weather now for about a week. Irish summers are infamous for uh, the unpredictability of the weather. You can get four yeah. seasons in one day in an Irish summer. Uh, but today we've just had one season. It's definitely been summer all day and we're enjoying it. Right. Um, I got everything right about uh, what, you're, what you're up to now with uh, Third Space. Um, you, you're there full time, right? Uh, yes, I am there full time. I, uh, I do other things on the side in my spare time. Uh, Anna and I are in a phase of life that we think of as grandparenting. So not just in relation to our own grandchildren. We have three granddaughters who are all, uh, well, three and under. Uh, but also in relation to people who are involved in church planting and church leadership. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a, a whole group of people in Dublin uh, around in their 30s or 40s. And um, so we have a sense of having a role, supporting them, uh, encouraging them. And uh, we really enjoy that because it's a bit like grandparenting. You know, you, you get all the joy and none of the responsibility. Right. Well, um, when I met you the first time, it's 2006, I remember you saying something like, I finished the book for the fifth time. Is that r remotely possible? Uh, yes, it is. It probably is. Uh, I, I've read it many times. I don't. I don't remember how many times, but I certainly would have read it several times by then. Yeah, uh, yeah. And probably the the cover would have fallen off it by then. Um, there you go. And uh, it's. Um, and I've I've read it quite a few times since as well. And uh, how did you discover this book? We, uh, we moved to Dublin from Cork, which is down the south of Ireland, in uh, the year 2000. And we came to, we were asked to come to lead a, a church that had been planted in a suburb of Dublin. Um, and one of the uh, other leaders in the church was uh, a disciple of Dallas. <laughs> he had okay. uh, listened to a lot of his material. He had been to a conference in the States that Dallas Willard had spoken at. Um, and so he uh, was very enthusiastic and started off just giving me some uh, cassette tapes to listen to, tell you how long ago it was. Uh, so I remember uh, starting to listen to them. And uh, I don't know whether it was the first or the second one. I fell asleep listening <laughs> to it. <laughs> And uh, I thought, oh, this guy is really uh, boring to listen to, you know, very hard to listen to. I discovered later that that, that was deliberate, that he, he, he made no effort to try to make it more interesting. That, uh, that's part of his uh, yeah. thinking, that the message itself was interesting enough. Um, yeah. 
Well, I don't know that he tried to put people to sleep, but <laughs> there there are there are speakers and ministers who try to craft their messages in a way that you are on the edge of your seat for the whole thing. And and he no, he did not do that. He could have. He could have actually. And if you hear some of his earlier messages, uh, he was much more of a fiery Baptist preacher. <laughs> yeah, he, he he was also very funny, so he, he certainly mm. could have used that more. But I do think that there was a conscious attempt for him not to get in the way of uh, the message that he was bringing yeah. to his audience, that, that he yeah. wanted to... Uh, Stay out of the way as much as possible. Uh, so uh, after listening to, eventually getting around to listen to the tapes and, and some of it starting to penetrate a little bit, then I uh, began work on the book. And like the tapes, I, you know, got so far, then got stuck, went back again, tried again, and I think it was probably the third time of reading of starting to read it, that I, I managed to uh, get to a place where I felt like, oh, this is starting to make sense to me, mm. um, and kept kept going with it. Mm. Um, and then I, I think I got to the end of it and immediately went back to the start and started it down. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Do you do that often? Uh, just as an aside, do you often finish a book and start it again? If you really liked it? Uh, very rarely. It, it, mm -hmm. it would only be with the sense of, uh, okay, there's more in this I haven't got. I, you know, uh, that mm -hmm. feeling that I need to go back again and, uh, and try a little bit more and see what else I can get out of it. So that mm -hmm. wouldn't be a common practice. Yeah. So do you remember what, what made this book one which you decided I need to start from the beginning again? Um, I think one of the one of the things was that by the time I got to the end of it I was sitting I was saying to myself I thought I knew Jesus and I thought I knew what the Christian life was all about. But now I realize that I didn't know it all. Hmm. Um, and there's actually a piece in this section that, that I think right at the beginning of this section where he says um, something like that, that um, the, we think, people think they have heard the invitation. They think they have accepted it or rejected it, but they have not. The difficulty today is to hear it at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that I was in that, that, that category that I had, uh, I felt I had understood the message, what the, the Jesus message, what it was about. And I was in the category of those who had accepted it um, and was seeking to live it as best I could. And then I, I discovered that, that there's way more to it than hmm. I had understood or realized. Um, yeah. And once you get over the shock of that, it, 
it actually becomes very exciting then because there's, there's, it's like this whole uh, country to explore. Yeah, yeah. Can you um, put some more detail on that? What what maybe had you understood before and what what did Dallas help you understand differently? Um, I think one of the, the, the key things was that um, there was the whole idea of living life with God. Um, okay. That, that for me, up until then, it, it was about I, I understood what was expected of me. I understood what God had done for me, particularly in Jesus. I understood the implications of that for my life in terms of how I should live. Um, but it was the idea of partnership, collaboration, living life with God, in the everyday, in the ordinary, not 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 just in the religious times or the spiritual mm. times or the designated mm. God times, but in the the, the ordinary, ordinary in the everyday, and the becoming aware of the 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 reality of the kingdom that that I was never away from the kingdom, that the, mm. that, that that God's kingdom was always present all around. And the opportunity to interact with God was uh, mine all the time, not in special moments, not in special places, not with special people, uh, mm. but all the time, anywhere. I, I, um, I At one stage, I, I worked with some people uh, doing a study, and we, we tried to paraphrase that initial announcement in Mark, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, somebody somebody came up with this. Uh, their phrase was, "The government of God, or the, the the governing activity of God, is right under your nose." And uh, I that mm. that was that sense of of the nearness of it all, and the reality of it all. Um, mm. And there would have been, I, I think, quite a few times where it was just overwhelming you know it was like uh standing in a river and suddenly getting knocked over in the river and, and you know the river just sweeping over you uh yeah times when i felt like that in it yeah you've read this section that we we are going to talk about today this word from a different reality and um i've been doing these short videos on the the section and um, one of the things that really stands out to me this time is how hard Dallas is trying to present Jesus in a way that's different from what people expect. and I think he's he's actually kind of struggling to do it. I don't I don't even know that this is his best best attempt. <laughs> it's very good, but um, it's something that uh, I, I learned when I was researching his biography. But uh, this first chapter, uh, he he rewrote this so many times 
Um, his wife didn't like it when he wrote the first time, and he wrote it again and again, just trying to to find something that really worked. Um, because he didn't think Jesus came across, uh, at least in the world around him, um, in a way that was helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the way that he spoke of Jesus in here or how he writes about Jesus, what he's, how he's trying to kind of pass him on. I think, I think one of the, one of the things that stood out for me was the idea of the ordinariness of Jesus. Hmm. Um, he, at one stage he says, if he had come today, he could, have, he could have taken up almost any occupation, you know, it wouldn't have mattered, mattered hmm. what he did. Um, it's, it seems that at that time that he was a, a, a handyman, stroke carpenter, stroke uh, tradesman of some kind, um, and uh, I, I think that that that, uh, that notion of the the real ordinariness of this man, uh, mm. this Galilean peasant man, who mm. uh, once he once he began traveling and becoming a more public figure, one of his his biggest challenges was the establishment saying, who is this guy and who does he think he is? Because there was mm. because he was so ordinary. And I I, I appreciated that uh, in in Dallas's presentation that that he he doesn't he doesn't try to make him out to be more than the gospels show him to be. Because mm. the gospel writers ignore the the, the first thirty years, basically, <laughs> apart from you know those little incidents, um, and I think that that's part of the the essential nature of what it is that he's trying to explain that this is this is God's presence in ordinary life, not mm. his invitation to us to come into some kind of religious life, and um, mm. to come into some other other world that he has has created you know the the, the different reality has come into our reality rather mm. than the, the the other way around uh and that's the that is the message is that the reality is here yeah how likely is a person in ireland to find jesus in ordinary life Jesus in Ireland has been religified, sort of word, religionized uh, into some kind of ethereal realm that in the minds of the vast majority of people is utterly disconnected from the lives that they're living every day. Um, I, I did a, a little survey last Christmas, uh, which I... Uh, in which I sought the help of my uh, our children who are all in their 30s and I, I they helped me to construct the survey first of all and then I asked them to send it out to a bunch of their friends who had no interest in church or religion or anything like that um, and it was an anonymous survey 
And the, the, the central question, there were a lot of questions around Jesus, this figure that we mark at this time of year, Christmas. And, but the, for me, the most significant question was, uh, if, you were, if you were facing a significant life decision uh, that you had to face, how important would the teaching or thinking or writing uh, about Jesus of Nazareth um, be for you in that decision-making process? Mm-hmm. And apart from one person, everybody else scored it as low as possible. You know, it, it was of no significance. Mm-hmm. In fact, the comments for a few of the comments showed that the the, the idea had never even crossed their minds. You know, that there would be anything in Jesus's thinking. That would be mm. of any help or assistance to them, um, and uh, I, I think that that's because Jesus is this kind of ethereal figure that you, you see, and you see him everywhere in Ireland. So maybe it's like that in Bavaria as well. But the statues, yeah. there's you know all kinds of, of uh, markers of him. Um, one one nearby uh, has him like this, uh, hands out, um, and somebody had put. Uh, a COVID two meter distance line on it, it looks like you say, you know, stay two meters apart. Um, and that's kind of, you know, as, as serious as people will take it, you know, that it's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not, not a part of life. That's, that would be the normal thinking, not necessarily reacting strongly against it or anything like that, but just simply not something that they've ever even considered. Yeah. Who that makes me think of a number of things, um, and one is uh, who would they invite into that decision-making time? Um, I know you've probably didn't put that question on the survey, but just take a take a guess. At... Uh, yeah, I would. I would imagine. Uh... I mean, even my experience from my own children, uh, parents, mentors, friends, uh, educators, or, uh, you know, a a particular self-help book that they've picked up along the way that they've found, you know, or somebody that they've listened to in a TED talk or or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know. So so a a contemporary popular figure um, would, would be much more likely to be someone that they would... Uh, think about uh, their teaching uh, hmm. rather than someone like uh, Jesus. Hmm. They're they're inoculated, <laughs> you know. The 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 extent of of uh, church influence, organised church influence in in Ireland is such that that a generation or two has been effectively inoculated to think this is not. It's it's got nothing to say to us. Yeah. Uh, it's as if there's a, a a large buffer there between Jesus and and their everyday life, and for whatever reason that they can't get past that that buffer. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true, and and I. If you ask me to describe the, the buffer, I would say it is the understanding that Jesus is only interested in the religious moral behavior aspects mm. of your person and your life. Mm. 
that mm -hmm. uh, he's not particularly interested in what career you choose, what kind of relationships you're in, how they're going, any of those things. Yeah. Unless you're having sex with someone that you're not married to or something like that, you know. But yeah, but yeah. behavior issues, behavior issues. Mm -hmm. Um but the, but that he he is the 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 notion that Jesus is interested in what kind of person you are and what kind of person you're becoming and uh how the, the journey through life is going for you, uh, that that just doesn't come into people's awareness, into their consciousness. Hmm. Hmm. Today, um, I'm reading the Gospel of John, and I was reading John 9 today. John 9 is the story of Jesus who heals this uh, man who is born blind um, and he heals him or he's he spits on mud and puts the spit on his eyes and then Gels goes and tells him to wash and I'm sure he was very grateful to go and wash um, it's strange um, spitting on the ground and putting mud on people's eyes hasn't really taken off as a Christian ritual <laughs> But <laughs> foot washing has, uh, but uh, spitting, not so much. But he heals this man. Um, but, and well, I should say, when he finally goes and washes, he, he can see and he's healed. But the interesting thing is he doesn't, he doesn't know Jesus did it. He didn't, could, Jesus wasn't there anymore. He's, Jesus has disappeared. He knows that there's been some sort of positive effect on his life from somebody. Um, and and it's interesting, too, about the ancient world. And really, not too long ago, nobody nobody knew what anybody looked like. There were no photographs around of, of mm -hmm. famous people, of rulers. You didn't you wouldn't know them if you saw them on the street. And uh, mm. and so in this story, Jesus does come back to the man and sort of says, you know, look, you know, I'm the guy that did this. Um, but I was thinking in preparation for our conversation here that um, that's a lot like where Europe is now. Um, Jesus has had an extremely profound effect on not only the world, but Europe in particular. Um, extremely positive effect. And all you, you don't have to be a professional historian to just look back and see how he has shaped um, so many areas of of European life and and really until about the 1960s in most countries in Ireland it lasted a lot longer the most common people were a part of church and were still quite connected to to Jesus um, but now that people are, have moved a step away, it's as if we still benefit from a lot of what Jesus has done in our, in our history, but we've kind of forgotten what he looks like or who, mm -hmm. who really that person is, who, who healed us, who gave us sight, who gave us these gifts. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like your metaphor 
Um, and I especially like this idea of, of, of what does he look like? Um, and, you know, that goes back to uh, what Dallas said in that chat. You know, we think that we've heard the invitation. We think we know what this was about. And, and that's, you know, the Ireland that I grew up in was that people connected to church, you know, large scale. Over 80% of people were in church every weekend in Ireland back then. Mm. Um, but, but there was not, even then, the connection to the, the life that, you know, that was described here that is on offer. It was much mm. more about the, the, institution that had, the, the institution that had replaced Jesus, I think. Um, yeah, and you can't have a relationship with an institution. Uh, you, uh, you uh, either uh, obey it or you rebel against it, but but you don't have a relationship. Whereas what you're describing, and even you know those two conversations in John's Gospel, um, the 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 idea that that they were able to have conversations about what had gone on and interact on it. And that's what you find throughout the Gospels. Um, uh, and that that is completely new to people. You know, mm. let's talk about this. John, you know, in, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, where uh, there's the, that kind of uh, the, the group that had been following John the Baptist, and then John the Baptist points out this other guy, and, and two of them follow him. And uh, he turns around and says, what do you want? Uh, and they, the best they can come up with is, uh, where, where are you staying? And he said, he says, come and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the simplicity of it and the ordinariness of it, not, not who are you or can you explain, uh, you know, the idea of being a Messiah or something like that, you know. Where are you staying? Mm-hmm. Come and mm-hmm. see. And, and the comment of the gospel writers, and they spent the rest of that day with him. As ordinary as you can get, you met someone. They invited you to their house. You spent that day there. Yeah, and and it's somehow in 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 a post-religious society to get back to the idea that the primary place that we interact with God is in the everyday, in the ordinary, in the um, Mm. yeah, whatever happens in daily life. And one of the things I found that moving from 22 years of being a professional um, minister, pastor, whatever you want to call it, and then moving into an area of of social business. Um, For me, in in my head, there was no significance to the transition. It it was the right thing to do at that moment, to to move into that. Um, But but I found that both uh, my uh, religious friends and my atheist friends both thought, "That's really strange. What are you? You know, I don't understand what you're doing." You know? uh, so they, there was a sense amongst my religious friends that I was somehow abandoning my, mm. you know, my call in some way, um, and the, amongst the, the the non-religious people. They, they were kind of saying, oh, I thought you were on the other side. Now, are you, are you coming over to our side now? You know, that, that mm. kind of thing. Um, mm. Whereas for me, it's, it's, 
uh, you know, what what your profession is, is uh, it's not irrelevant, but it, it, it's not the, you know, who's paying your wages. Uh, yeah. And I think that one of the things that I, I really uh, admire and enjoyed about Dallas Willard was that he uh, taught in an ordinary university uh, all of yeah. his, his working life. And uh, and that was where he sensed that his his call was to be. That's where life with God was worked out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sense it was a uh, a process for him to accept as well. Because before he went, accepted that position, he he wanted to be a pastor. He wanted to be, or or a speaker, or some something of that sort, and um, and it's only after a number of years there that you do start to hear him talk about the importance of. Uh, doing a good job where you are and uh, he grabs this um, phrase out of the gospels um, and I can't remember it now myself occupy occupy until I come is this idea of uh, one that comes out of one of Jesus's parables and uh, this sense of you know I'm putting you in charge of this for the moment and I'm gonna come back and we'll see how you've done and uh, and he, yeah, gradually came to the place of being able to accept. Okay, I'm I'm a teacher here. Um, my my job mm-hmm. is to teach philosophy. Um, mm. Yeah. What so, I, I was struck. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that was so important because he uh, later. Uh, emphasize so much this idea that that our, uh, our our core problem is this segregation of the life of faith off into this corner that it's it's about what you believe but not yeah. something that anybody can know um, yeah. and uh, you know he challenged that in his thinking and his writing and his speaking but also in his life. Uh, yeah. that, that he was was able to do these uh, to live out the life that he lived and to to put uh, what he understood about God and, and God and His ways into the the thinking that was uh, the development of his philosophical uh, position yeah. and his writing and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And and he's setting that up here in this book here in this section um, that is. He's trying to show that that's that's how Jesus lived his life as well. That he didn't have these religious teachings that he gave to people on the weekends, and then he has his own his own life that is kind of this. You know, he likes to. I don't know. I can't imagine what a what a what a godless Jesus would do, but. <laughs> He doesn't there. It's all integrated. And he's trying to set that mm-hmm. up because more as you get deeper into the book, he's going to start talking about being a student of Jesus and being a student of Jesus where we are right now. 
So not getting better at going to church or getting better at reading the Bible or whatever, mm. whatever we've sort of thought that Jesus is best at, but getting better at being a father in our cases or being a grandfather in, in your case. Or um, I remember you said you were fixing the dishwasher. So you've, you've got, you know, handyman chores around in your, in your shop that, uh, yeah. And those are the places where we are students of, of Jesus. Yes. Yes. And, and many times uh, there has been for me that experience of, of doing something as mundane as uh, fixing a dishwasher or, or uh, whatever. And, and knowing again, that sense of being guided and uh, led not just in what the problem is or what needs to be done about it, but also how I should be with the problem. How am I to be as I sit with this problem and, and work with it? Mm. How am I yeah. to be with the others who are, um, uh, who are, uh, you know, watching, maybe waiting for the dishwasher to be fixed or something like that. Mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. one, one incident where uh, someone who was working in our place, who was a Muslim, uh, and he uh, something had happened to the guy who was uh, working on the dishwasher, loading the dishwasher and unloading and all that, um, and uh, so there was dishes to be done, and I was around, and so I went in and started doing it, and this guy was working in the kitchen, and he could not see that. Um, that, you know, the boss was in there, you know, mm. he came in and he was starting to do it. And I would say, maybe it's okay, I can do it, I can do it. Uh, and he said, he said, uh, where I come from, he said, the, the, the boss is king, you know. Mm. And I said something, I said to him, I said, the best bosses are the ones who serve. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember afterwards, just a few days later, he came up and started asking me about the difference between Christianity and uh, Islam. Mm. Uh, yeah. And that really struck me that, that, you know, there was something in, in that I was being taught about how to be in that situation. Um, and uh, it was, it was just ordinary and normal and nothing, you know, I wasn't mm. trying to preach or anything like that. But, mm -hmm. but it's still um, that there was a lesson there for me to be to be received and learned and also i more than uh, on many occasions i have been amazed at my uh technical abilities because i didn't have you know I, I was able to fix fix things that i should not have been able to fix because i didn't have mm -hmm. the expertise or the skills or the mm -hmm. know-how or anything like that and um, yeah. but lo and behold it just it just uh happens um and uh, at one stage, the the, uh, the staff at this thing that if Sean just touches it, it'll start working again, you know, because it 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 just happens so often. But I I, I love that idea that that no matter what our situation, you know, the brain surgeon, dishwasher fixer, or anything else in between those two can find. Um, skills that they, that they need and the help that they need 
in, in doing that. And I've talked to surgeons who would testify to that, you know, and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. I can, I can imagine how that would be quite a, a change for a, a culture. I'm, I'm thinking of what you said about, uh, the Ireland of your, um, your childhood and, uh, of your, the early parts of your ministry when, um, you said that even though people were in church, uh, it was there was a huge disconnect between that and their their everyday life, and um, and the main reason for that is this sort of picture of Jesus wasn't being taught, and in a picture of hmm. Jesus in which you can enter, in which he will come into your ordinary life as a as a teacher. Um, wasn't being taught. Uh, yeah. Now, this section is about Jesus entering the ordinary world a long time ago, and um, and he doesn't do that in the same way for us. And um, so what are some ways in which he has met you in ordinary life um, that can maybe give us a picture of how he shows up? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that there are... So for me, early on, there would have been the um, some of the, the, the challenging moments or the crisis moments. Um, I remember one of my my biggest challenges around the time that I was reading the Divine Conspiracy and learning some of these things uh, was my own dad, who was um, a very, very traditional conservative Catholic. Um, so everything that I did basically was uh, he didn't get it at all. He wasn't antagonistic, but he would never ask me about it. It was almost like he was afraid of it. Um, hmm. And we couldn't talk about things like that. My, with my mother, I could, but not with him. Um, so I, I remember at once I'd say to somebody, you know, if I could see the work of God in my dad's life and in our relationship with each other, that would be really <laughs> you know, mm. that's sort of the top of my list um and uh in uh in 2008 he was uh diagnosed with a brain tumor and uh the the, the doctor said that uh this was so sudden it was uh, he he seemed to be in perfect health and then one day he drove his car into a parked car the car was parked and he crashed into it because he didn't see it. Um, mm. And so it was obvious then that there was something wrong. And within a couple of weeks, they found out it was a, it was a brain tumor. And the doctor said to my mother, um, this will be very quick weeks, not months. Um, mm. And he was right. Uh, it was less than two months the, uh, later that he died. But in those two months, they, they, there was a striking change uh, in him and in his basic 
posture and openness. Um, and the the way the circumstances happen, and this it didn't happen just once or twice, but many, many times. There's there's nine of us in our in, I have eight siblings. Um but at at the moment and we were taking turns to help out and to you know to be there. But uh, in the in the moments of crisis, it always happened that I was the one who was there when those things were happening. So it wasn't planned that way, but that's the way, the way it was. And so the, this this relationship developed between my dad and I that I had longed for all my life, um, and it was like given as a gift right at the end of his life. So much so that that right at the end when he was almost uh, unconscious but not quite. Um, I uh, I was the one who actually was able to give him permission to go, and he responded. And uh, within a minute or two, he was he was gone. He had died. Hmm. Um, and I, some of my other siblings were there, and we laughed at the time. And I said, I said that's the first time Daddy ever did what I told him to do this whole life. Hmm. Um, so that would have been sort of the. the that was a big thing, you know, a huge thing mm. in my life. Um, mm. But then also there would have been in the very, very ordinary, everyday, uh, mundane things, particularly in relationships. I think that that's where I would have experienced the, the guidance and the wisdom of God more than anything in, in, in knowing what to say, in knowing what not to say, <laughs> in knowing when to say nothing at all. Um, mm. That I found I found that my awareness of uh, what was going on in a conversation changed completely. Um, and then when it came to the business as well, uh, I you know I had zero background in business. I I'd never had any involvement in any kind of business. Um, and you know my my capacity to handle the fi- the household finances was so poor that Anna, my wife took them over for quite a few years, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, she figured she couldn't do a worse job than I was doing, you know. And, but then we started up this business, and uh, one person that I went to for advice said to me, uh, he said, you, to make this work, you need to know food, you need to know business, and you don't know either of them. He said, mm-hmm. it, it, it won't work. And uh, so I, instead of, in the past, Something like that would have offended me, and I would have kind of done my back up about it. But in the in that situation, I thought, you know, he's right, and I went looking for for help, and I I contacted a friend, and I contacted my sister who had worked in food and hospitality all her life, and a friend who had worked in business all all his life, and they became my partners in the project. All of us working for nothing because there was no, you know, there was no money for anybody. We weren't earning anything, um, and just to 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 know that that was the right thing to do in that situation, and also then to experience their response when I come to them, saying, you know, will you work really hard for this project, uh, bring in all the skills that you've accumulated over the years, and your reward will be nothing <laughs> except the pleasure of of doing it. And they're both saying mm. yes to that, you know, and mm. and looking back later, years later, with such, you know, fulfillment on, on what was accomplished through that. Um, 
I find those those kind of things. I I look back and say, how how did that happen? How do we do that? Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories like. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember neither... one other. Sorry, yeah. one other story. Just just to, um, one one grey November day when. Uh, I was in the middle of trying to sell this business and something had fallen through. I think maybe an offer we'd put in on a property or something like that had been rejected. Uh, and I remember walking through this area of Dublin um, and thinking, uh, you know, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And as I walked by this uh, space that was used as an ex exhibition space, I, I see in that, that space there's a, an exhibition to do with the work of the uh, American short story writer Flannery O'Connor, mm -hmm. who I had read, um, but would not have been a very well-known figure or writer here. So just to see that amazed me that, that it was there. So I went in and I started reading all these uh, sections of from her stories, from her books. And every one of them is for me. <laughs> They're mm -hmm. all saying things about my situation at the moment and, and where I am. And I walk out um, just an hour later, overwhelmed by what, by what I have received uh, from that. Um, and a, a day or two later, I get a phone call from somebody I know uh, in the States, in Georgia, who uh, has is organizing this conference and his his speaker has just pulled out and he's saying, I know it's really short and old, Sean, and, but we would pay your airfare and we'd bring you over and everything. I wonder, would you be willing to step in and to, to do this thing? You know, And the, the thought in my head as I'm, as I'm going, thinking about going to this place is that's about an hour away from where Flannery O'Connor <laughs> was lived and worked and so on. So t 10 days maybe two weeks after I walked past this exhibition, I'm in the house that she lived in and worked in on the other side mm -hmm. of the Atlantic. You know? mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did nothing, nothing except just say yes to it. Yeah. So there was yeah. that sense of, of, of the, the activity of God, paying attention, but also then just being, being acted on almost, you know, that, 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 that because mm. you're a willing participant in this relationship you you are surprised i think that's the way, the way you, put it, you know you're surprised yeah. by gifts um that are a reminder to you of of uh how much you're loved i guess yeah yeah hmm. you uh you told me before that you were the one of the most important uh, takeaways from this book was this this sense of doing your work with God, God entering into your work or working on his his projects as well. Um, we've 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 talked about uh, a number of those a number of those things already, um, but. You know, okay, so you do, you said you um, help people who are still in church work of, of some sort, your mentor, coach for people, but uh, then 
you know, your work now is, is with this cafe. Um, so what does, well, maybe if I can even ask more widely, not just specific to the cafe, but what does, what does cooperating with God look like for you mm. now? Let, let me tell you the story of the, the genesis of the project, uh, because that, that would probably be a good illustration of, of what it was. So it, it came about through two things. One was I, I looked at uh, how Dublin was developing um, in the boom years of the up to 2008. And the um, all the emphasis was on building uh, working space and building living space. So lots of offices, lots of apartments. That's what was being built in Dublin at that time. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, and and where do people meet? Where do they form community? Where do they connect with each other? All these people who are coming to work in the offices and live in the apartments, uh, because that's uh, the essence of humanity. And that was just being completely ignored in the whole uh, planning and development process. Mm -hmm. So I, I was aware of that and remember thinking about that and thinking what 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 should be done about that. And then uh, when uh, Anna and I went away, actually the, just after my dad died that, that summer, um, uh, I had an, an experience uh, unlike anything that I had ever had where I, I essentially was given instructions to, to say, it was time to move on from my role as leader of the church that I was in and to start something new in the city. Um, and that was all that I knew about it. And except that it wouldn't be overtly religious um, and that it would have something to do with hospitality, those two things. And, and so then over the next couple of years, I, I gave the church a year's notice and left a year later. And I thought that, that we might get the project going in six months, but we got, it took over two years. And in those two years, I began to learn more and more about how the city functions and what is uh, what works in the city and what doesn't work in the city and uh, why it is the way it is very often. And I also got a growing sense of... Um, God's heart for the city because of the, the density of people in the city and because of the, uh, the numbers of, uh, of people who live there. And also people from all kinds of extremes, you know, the very wealthy and the very poor, um, the, the people who have nothing. Um, so when it finally came to the, the place where we were able to open this up, uh, there was a number of values that had been set in place not because they'd been written down anywhere, but it was almost like because I'd been, been shown them. Um, so from the very beginning, we, we, we made it a place where everybody was welcome. And one of our things was the only person that's not welcome is, is the person who makes others feel unwelcome. So uh, we, we began to operate this policy that, that um, if you couldn't afford to pay, that didn't matter. You know, you, you, you got what, what you needed in terms of food or drink but we didn't we didn't advertise that or make a loud noise about that because if we did then the place would have been taken over by by people in need only and there wouldn't have been a place for anybody else 
So, so it was a very nuanced, uh, careful uh, development, and all of that sense was was that, that this is somehow being led. And then the people who came along to get involved and to work there, uh, some of them uh, quite needy in their own way, um, and to see them thrive and develop in that and realise, well, they've been given to us as well. They're, they've become part of it. And the area that we opened in the city was, was an area that at that time was in quite a lot of difficulty. And uh, many people advised us not to go there. They said, you know, it's not a good place to go, you know, uh, um, and we kept saying, well, that's why we're going there. It's, you know, it's, we want to do good, be good for that part of the city. Uh, and I remember the first winter we were open, uh, there was, um, we, we immediately became busy. You know, the, there was uh, people flocked into the place from the day we opened. It was just amazing. Um, and we hadn't done anything in terms of advertising or anything like that to do it. Um, and uh, that first winter we had we had done like kind of candle lights in the window and things like that. So the, the place was looking nice on the dark winter season. And this customer, a guy who was a lawyer, um, one of our first customers actually, the first day we opened, he was coming up the square and he, he saw the place and, uh, you know, lit up with the candles and everything. And he, he just opened the door and stuck his head in and said, I just want to say the place looks wonderful as you as you walk up the square. You know, it looks great, really nice. And I said, oh, thanks, Kenny. And uh, he closed the door and went up. And then about 30 seconds later, the door opened again, and he stuck his head back in, and he said, it's a wonderful thing that you have done. Hmm. And he just turned around and walked away again. This guy's a, a lawyer, you know, barrister. But th that kind of thing made you realise yeah, it is. It's wonderful. It's it's full of wonder because there's something mm. going on there that none of us was capable of doing. We were not, yeah. uh, you know, that, that is so, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that artists do and things like that. You know, you, you, you don't know how it's done, but uh, it's wonderful to see it being done. And that was that was that sense that we had that none of us were the artists, that, that there was another artist who was just helping us to, to do that. So I think that level of, of, of collaboration or cooperation um, is, is intended to be a natural part of, of, of the life that we live with God every day. You know, like the boys, uh, Peter and John, going up to the temple, you know, and the, the guy's looking for money, and he said, uh, uh, we can't do money, you know, but how about we heal you, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, that must have been just spontaneous, completely spur of the moment, Phew, you know. Uh, so I, 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 I think that that sense of, uh, of adventure, uh, collaboration and adventure, I, I find that that's, that's what we're being invited into. Um, in yep. in a, a million different contexts, you know, that, that's yeah. just my yeah. context. You know? Yeah, yeah. What stands out to me about your story there about Third Space and the cafe restaurant is that that was that was a long process. It's a long process to get to the point that a lawyer sticks his head in the store and says, this is wonderful. It wasn't, um, 
something that just developed in a matter of hours. Um, and, no. and I think that's typical of how God works with us. Um, or at least those are the things that he cares more about. There are sort of faster events. Um, if you're open to it, things will happen. But those those aren't as important as as something like this that's a years in the making to kind of become become something yeah yeah you're right god is never in a hurry never uh, and we we get uptight so much about time hmm. and uh God is all the time he needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and he does choose to take his time. Right. Uh, 30, Jesus is, when he's, uh, you know, hitting the road. Yeah. Uh, 30 yeah. years of age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I've got one final question for you. Um, and uh, and that is um, we've we've spoken a lot about um, maybe Jesus's obscurity in in Europe and in Ireland. Um, we've talked about how he's um, available right underneath our noses, and yet when I look underneath my nose, I don't I don't see Jesus. <laughs> Um, and I don't see God's working there necessarily. Um, so he's, he's not, you know, parting the heavens and it's not this huge, uh, undeniable show. Um, what, for, for those who are perhaps looking for Jesus and thinking, okay, I don't, I don't see him here, um, you know. But what, what kinds of things can they do to maybe hunt him out? Hmm. Great question. I think to start with is to accept that if, if I believe that he is there, or if I'm, I'm going to operate on that assumption to, to go seeking, then don't expect it to be like anything else that you have experienced before. So you're hmm. looking for something, you're seeking for something that you haven't experienced before. Hmm. Um, uh, and that's where, you know, organized religion of any kind or any hue can often be a hindrance because most of us, if we haven't experienced, at least we're aware of it. So we're looking for something like that. And hmm. yet you re read the Gospels and that's not the way it is, you know, with Jesus. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would, I would say is, is it, it requires that you really begin to pay attention to everything that's going on 
in in your life every day. If if the kingdom of God is under your nose, then the, you don't need to go somewhere else to find it. You need to start paying attention uh, where you are now, because the reality is, if Jesus is right, then it's been there all along, and you've never seen it up until now. Whatever age you are in life. So you need to give it the kind of attention that you've never given it before. And that involves uh, stillness, uh, quietness, uh, letting go of a bunch of other things, um, and allowing yourself the space and the time and the stillness to simply consider, now, is there anything else here? Have I, have I, have I missed something? Um, and, and to allow the stillness to begin to speak to you. And then I would say, somewhere in the middle of that, uh, get a hold of, of one of the Gospels and begin to just allow it to uh, seep into your being. I, I, would say, I would say Mark's Gospel to people uh, because it's kind of the most simple, straightforward, full of stories, get straight into the action. Chapter one, you're right into it. Um, mm. And 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 just just ponder it, allow it, don't don't try to analyze it, don't just just allow the things to uh, to to treat them as stories and pay attention particularly to what, what they do to you. Mm. What do they do to your you emotionally? Uh, what did they, what do they do to your desires, uh, to your to your longing? Uh, you wish it was true. Uh, hmm. Whatever you think about it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, I, I think that those those are the, the kinds of ways that today uh, we need to begin the search in order to uh, unlearn. What we have learned in our culture, even if even if we've never been involved in any any kind of uh, organized religion, there's still a lot of unlearning to do uh, from the way our culture has been. Um, and uh, I think it's 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 really important that we we uh, begin a search for reality, not a search for just a series of ideas or thoughts or or something that you will have to believe in because you can never know that it's true you know that's hmm. that's very often the understanding but but what what you're looking for is reality it's just another kind of reality a reality that you've never been able to see before hmm. but that doesn't mean it isn't there surely science if it taught us anything it taught us that there's a hmm. lot more to reality than we've ever seen up to now hmm. Well, I'm not going to try to improve on that, uh, Sean. That was that was pretty good. We'll, we'll just think about that um, going forward. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for sharing um, what you've pulled out of this book and uh, how it's affected your life. Um, I wish you the best with your ongoing projects there in in Dublin. Thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. A real yeah. pleasure. 
and uh, maybe maybe one day we'll show up with the video camera and uh, we'll sit together and do one without headphones. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for uh, watching and listening. Um, and uh, if uh, you this was helpful, then uh, do hit like buttons uh, or um, write nice reviews. Um, send us uh, an email or write in the comments about this. And uh, and if you're in uh, Dublin, go uh, check out Third Space and uh, possibly Sean will be there working and I'm sure he'd love to greet you. Next, next video, we'll be back with uh, something uh, on the next section, Made to Rule. Um, and um, yeah, thanks for being here. See you next time. Huh. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah.